0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder.
1: We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, but initially I am just going to read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, This is God's Word, the, the Word of God for the people of God to the glory of God, read in your hearing. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The grass withers, the flower fades, The word of our God abides forever. By his grace and his mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Well, we get to Romans 12, and I know in some of your minds, Pastor, you were doing a series in Romans that we stopped for Advent, and then we stopped for our ministry theme of spiritual gifts that we're still in, and then we are, um, will we get back there? Yes, we will. We will. On the other side of Easter, we dive back into Romans, and if you want to get back to where we were left off, you'll be in Romans chapter 5. I'm looking forward to getting back to there, but in God's kind providence, in the study of the book of, uh, in the study of spiritual gifts, We arrive at Romans chapter 12. Now, why have we arrived here? Well, we arrive here because as we looked at, as we were looking at this spiritual gift, the theme of spiritual gifts this year, discover, uh, um, to discover our gifts, to develop our gifts, and to deploy our gifts, spiritual gifts, discovered, developed, and deployed. I said, I would like to look at two authors, Peter and Paul. And I would like to look through Peter and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, four texts. Uh, First Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Uh, Corinthians 12, we've studied both of those. Now we arrive at uh, Romans 12, and next week we go to the fourth text, Ephesians chapter 4. Now while we were in our study of those two initial texts, that is 1 Peter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. What I did was break out of 1 Peter 4 for you in those two verses, five framing principles to understand spiritual gifts. Five framing principles. You, got, you can't build the house without the framework. What are the five framing principles of spiritual gifts? What are they? Peter gives them to you. Then we went to 1 Corinthians 12 where Peter having discipled us with five principles framing principles now Paul gave us 10 understanding principles in other words you got the framed now now Paul starts filling it up and one of the reasons why is, why is because after he had left Corinth the old pagan practices and um, in the church at Corinth the old pagan practices had crept back in and so he had to address their thinking he, he started remember that discipleship is a cascading effect in the mission of the church it, it's initiated from a pulpit it's carried into the lectern in relationships in a congregation or a Sunday school community then it goes into small groups and then it goes into uh, and it, then it can go into one-on-one relationships in the context, usually, of those small groups. And so uh, so that's how discipleship is done, and spiritual gifts must be embraced with biblical discipleship. Why? Because every great gift of God and spiritual gifts are something that's been given to every believer. Every great gift of God becomes an attack point by Satan. He wants to bring confusion and distortion. He wants to make it a matter not of unity, but a matter of division. So that's what he does with spiritual gifts as well. So we're taking the time to look at the five framing principles, and we took the time to look at the ten understanding principles. Now, I'm not going back over those. We've gone over them. This is our seventh study, and I've gone over them a couple of times, but I did include them on the back of something that has made its reappearance, and that is your note sheet. All right, there it is. And so it's, oh, I got some applause on a note sheet. <laughs> the reason the other people didn't applaud is They want to find out if I say something worth writing on the note sheet. That's what they're trying to wait on. So, but the note sheet is back and I put those for your keeping on the back. And, um, but now I want to go to a distillation or a summation of those principles. Let me give that to you. And I think it's already there for you so you don't have to write it out. So if you, if you break all that down into a distillation of all those principles from 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4, here's what what we would say a spiritual gift is a god designed and god delivered ministry resource to be used for God's glory in concert with other believers. It's never to function independently. It's done in concert with other believers, enabling Christ's church to effectively exalt Christ. In other words, Christ church can, with the spiritual gifts employed by the people of God, with everybody showing up with the discovery, development, and deployment of their gifts, then the church can be on our Christ-given mission to make disciples of all the nations through worship evangelism assimilation and uh, and disciple making we can make then we can stay on our mission we can stay on message and in ministry for the glory of God uh, by the strength which God supplies to us So that's, that just is a distillation of all of those things that we have studied in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now we come to Romans chapter 12. And if you'll look at, if you'll open up your Bibles and look there, and if you'll take a look, you'll notice that in verses, in Romans chapter 12, in verses 3 through 8, is a, is, is the Apostle Paul teaching us about spiritual gifts. It's very similar, yet much shorter than 1 Corinthians 12, but it is it is worthy of looking at for its own content and and application in our lives of what he is saying. But like every text of Scripture, verses three through eight of Romans 12 sit in a context. So let me give you three uh, three issues of context. Before we dive into the content, let's look at the overview before we take a closer view. What is the, what are some things, now there's a lot that could be said, obviously, about the context. But let me just give you three things about the context of Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8. The first thing is, it is a premier example of how Paul writes the epistles, it is a premier example. This, this is right at the point um, to grab our attention in terms of the Pauline pattern of writing Holy Scripture. Now Paul gives you a clue to this when he talks about the profile of God's word. Y'all remember that very important passage that we've all learned in Second Timothy chapter three and verses sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed, right? Amen. Belongs there, amen. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. Then what? Application. Reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Preachers must not speak to the conscience of life without first establishing with integrity the doctrine from the sacred text. Disciplers must not speak to the consciences of how you live your life without first rooting what is spoken demonstrably with integrity from the doctrine that comes rightly from the text. So all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? So here's the sacred text. Profitable for what? Doctrine. Then what? Application. Reproof. We need to repent of that. Correction, we need to do this. Training in righteousness, we need to incarnate this in our way of life for Christ. And that's exactly what Paul does in every single epistle. His opening chapters are always doctrinal. He gives us foundational teaching. Ephesians 1 through 3 lay out what it means to be in Christ. 28 times he says in Christ in chapters 1 through 3. I gave it to you as, your, uh, as our word of pardon this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has bl- uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings. Where from the heavens, how in Christ. And so he goes on to talk of our union with Christ. Then chapters four through six, the second half, what does he say? Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Here are your blessings in Christ. Here's how you bless Christ with your life. He doesn't get to your life without telling you who you are in Christ. Then he tells you what you do for Christ. Lest we think what we do for Christ saves us or enables him to save us. No, it is because he has saved us and enabled us. That's why we live the way we do. And every epistle, he's got 13 epistles, every one of them except the personal epistles to um, Philemon and Titus and 1st and 2nd Timothy. All of them are set in that pattern as he writes to the church. This one is no exception. What is Romans about? Well, hopefully you know that from our opening study of the first five chapters. It's an exposition of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. It is an exposition of, I want to write to you about the gospel of God. I'm eager to come and preach the gospel of God. I'm unashamed to preach the gospel of God. That's what I'm here to do. And for 11 chapters, he extols the majesty, the magnificence, the supremacy of Christ through the gospel to the glory of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Greatest chapter on the Holy Spirit in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. It's all there for us, this this triadic gospel of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the preeminence and proclamation of Christ. Then at the end of chapter 11, he ends with a doxology. Oh God, how vast are your thoughts. They are beyond me. Who has been your instructor? Who has been your counselor? For from him and through him and to him, Or all things. To God be the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Therefore. Now. Now we're ready for application. Doxology. In worship. Gathered. Leads to doxology. In life. That's lived. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God. Notice, not for the mercy. This isn't what you do to get mercy. This is what you do because of grace and mercy. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of what? Worship. Life worship. Flowing from the doxology of our saving relationship with Christ undergirded by gathered worship. Well, how in the world can that happen? Well, I just told you for 11 chapters. Guess what? You got a new heart. Guess what? You got a new record. Guess what? You got a new life. Guess what? You got a new family. Guess what? You've got a new home. Guess what? You've got a new perspective, eyes to see and ears to hear. Guess what? You didn't get a new mind. We still got stinking thinking. And we wake up with it every morning. So do not be conformed to this world. Why would Paul say that if the world isn't trying to conform you? Okay, can I just delve into just a moment of self-pity? I want you to know and love Jesus. I get, I get a 42 to 43 minute shot at you. Fox News, how many hours do they get at you? MSNBC, CNN, how many hours they get at you? How many hours does social media and Facebook get at you? How many hours does Twitter get at you? Instagram. How many hours does the computer get to you? By the way, if you fall short, I don't know about your computer. Mine comes up and says, You only racked up this many hours this week. As if I'm sinning by not giving my whole life in front of that silly thing. Brothers and sisters, this is such a challenge. Because you can't do right for God's glory by God's grace unless you know what's right. That's why the preaching of the word and discipleship is so crucial. And that's why he begins application with the word spirit enabled word transformation. Metamorphosis is the word. Do not be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed That's the word we get. Meta- metamor- that's how a caterpillar, ugly, bugly caterpillar becomes the beautiful butterfly. A metamorphosis in the cocoon. That's what happens to us in discipleship. We're legally perfect and beautiful before Jesus. But we're being transformed by the means of grace for Jesus. By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and holy so that when people see and how we conduct ourselves verbally and visually in life god gets the glory that's what he calls us to that's what he calls us to be and to do but you can't do it without this transformation you see that's why paul's got this pattern let me give you. I got to do the rest of them much more quicker. Here we are. But that's just so important. Secondly, what is the first application in the context? So see, he says this. See this beautiful gospel, eleven chapters. Now here's how we're going to live the gospel, uh, chapters 12 through 16. And as he starts 12 through 16, and he tells us we've got to have renewed minds, transformed by the word of God and the spirit of God, through the preeminence of Christ, by the grace of God. What is the first transformational? practice priority he gives to us spiritual gifts that's the first thing he looks at you got a renewed mind all right let's look at spiritual gifts that's the very first thing he goes to in verses three through eight thirdly third context issue the third context issue is not when you preach something in context you not only has to fit into what goes before it has to fit into what comes after I want to show you something. Verses 3 through 8 deal with spiritual gifts. I'm going to walk you through them right now. But before I do that, would you look down, how does verses 3 through 8 on spiritual gifts end? Let love be sincere, genuine, real. Isn't that interesting? How did Peter wrap up spiritual gifts Let love of the brethren continue. How did Paul follow in 1 Corinthians 12 the exposition of spiritual gifts? What's 1 Corinthians 13? Love. Now what has Peter done? Uh, Spoiler alert. Peter, I mean, what has Paul done in Romans 12 spoiler alert he does the same thing in Romans 12 he did in 1 Corinthians 12 and he'll do in Ephesians 4 he'll follow up his exposition on spiritual gifts with let love be genuine so renewed mind one slice of the bread put the meat in spiritual gifts other slice of the bread a true and sincere love of the brethren In the ministry of those gifts those who minister and those whom we minister to a sincere love of the brethren now with those three contextual points now let's take a look at the text itself and let me walk you through it very quickly for you here we go number verse three for by the grace given to me what see that for by the what grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Have you ever noticed that some people, when they're teaching you about spiritual gifts verbally, they're actually showing you how to do spiritual gifts visually? Here's Paul. What is Paul's gift? Preaching and Teaching where what as a what what is his ministry apostle how did paul get his gift same way you get yours god's grace that's why we call them the charismata the word charis the word charis is the word for grace the gifts of the grace so paul says i've got a gift look at what he says for the for by the grace given to me i didn't invent my gift It was given to me god by grace i didn't deserve it god gave me my gift What am I going to do? I'm going to exercise it. I say to you, here comes an apostolic exhortation from the apostle that had the gift and the calling and the ministry to give it. I say to who? Every one of you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What is the first thing we learn about spiritual gifts? You can't, please catch this. You cannot minister spiritual gifts if we are self obsessed. We cannot minister our spiritual gifts if we are self-obsessed. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Humility is absolutely crucial for stewardship, whether it's finances, spiritual gifts, whatever it is. Every, no, we own nothing. It's been given to us. We cannot use any of our resources, including spiritual gifts, unless step one, it is no longer I who live. Step one, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. The humility of the steward is crucial for stewardship. To rightly possess our gift and engage it in ministry, humi- humility is crucial. Now let me tell you, what Paul just said today, he would get canceled. We live in a culture, you cannot violate the cult of self-esteem. You cannot, you say, well, I, I believe in self-respect. No, well, that's not good enough. Self-esteem. That's why you can't say anything about sin. That's why you can't th- say anything about depravity. That's why you can't say anything about needing a Savior. Because all of those are assaults upon the cult of self-esteem. That comes from self-obsession. That is seen in self-promotion. And what he says is, for us as believers, we have to not only at our conversion die to ourselves every day. We cannot think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Paul is not, Paul is not, Paul is not removing, Paul is not removing self examination or self assessment. He's corralling it. You can examine yourself, you ought to. You can assess yourself, you ought to. What you can't do is promote yourself and be obsessed with yourself. Once that takes hold, it's just a matter of time for gift and ministry envy of others. You've got to remove it. That's why Paul said, don't separate as an ear because you're not a mouth. As a foot because you're not an arm. Every gift is crucial. Everyone is uniquely gifted. Don't obsess in pride or arrogance over your gift or in jealousy or envy over the lack of the gift that you think you deserve. So that what he is telling us, that we have got to say no to the culture that would conform us into the obsession of self-esteem and self-promotion. And we've got to be sober-minded. He is not forbidding self-assessment, he is directing it. What he is forbidding is self-absorption and self-obsession and self-promotion. And can't you hear the echo of 1 Corinthians 12? Don't be jealous of someone else's gift. Don't be arrogant and prideful of your gift. You can't say, I don't need the other members of the body. My gift is so great. Or you can't say, because I don't have that gift, I'm not going to show up. Jealousy and envy. And can't you see that wonderful word? Let me give you a second thing in this text that we want to see. The call to sober-minded. Now some of you hopefully can answer this question not from experiment experience, unless it's a faint memory. What is the opposite of sober? They're sitting hard, drunk. Now being alabamians, we are much more sophisticated. What is the opposite? Of sobriety, intoxication. What he's telling you is, be spirit-led sober. Don't be self-obsessed, intoxicated. That's what he's saying to us. Your spiritual gifts, in fact, if we can't get this right... I really, deep down, if I can't get this right, I shouldn't want my spiritual gift because I will misuse it. I will abuse it. I will non-use it. This is something we've got to get right. Do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Be sober minded. Sober minded, not sober minded by the gift of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, not intoxicated. As a work of the flesh. My dear friends, every single one of you have a very unique gift. Do not let that become a matter of pride. No one has a gift like yours. I've searched and thought and thought, how can I... You see, what you have is a constellation of gifts that have a lead gift. So your spiritual gift is actually a constellation of gifts. And it, and it shows up with a passion for that thing that God's laid upon your heart. So here is this constellation of gifts that show up in a unique pattern that becomes your spiritual gift. And God is unique. Not only do you have a unique gift, God is uniquely working in you to use that gift. But the uniqueness is not about our gift and us. But about the grace of God that is uniquely working in us for his glory, which is unique. None get the glory that he gets. He alone is worthy. So that's unique gift is unique, but it is not in order for us to be promoted or self-absorbed. I've tried to think of illustrations of it. I think it's like a fingerprint. My fingerprint has changed throughout my life. But no matter how it changes, it's unique to me. So I can't get away. If I get my fingerprint, they got me. Nobody else has got my fingerprint. But that fingerprint doesn't stay the same all of life. Your spiritual gifts are unique and they are dynamic. They are developing in life. They don't just stay like they are. They are being developed even as you use them and God is working in your life. So a Philip moves from diaconal ministry to being an evangelist. And you see how these things develop in life and how God is calling us. Not I thought, uh, you know, I could talk about fingerprint or DNA. But what I really, the one I love is one that I don't like to use in this present situation. But... Don't be a snowflake, but you're like a snowflake. Now, don't be a snowflake in life, just melt in a moment. If everything's not going the way you think it ought to go or you want it to go. But you are like a snowflake in your spiritual gift. Every snowflake is unique. Just think of that myriad of snowflakes falling. None of them are the same. But let me... This is as far as I'll ever go in science, so don't ask me to go any further, but I've checked myself out. As that as that unique snowflake is falling, as it's falling, it's changing its design continually. And it's still unique all the way to the ground. That's the way your life is. You've got a unique gift, and he's constantly developing it. He's constantly moving it, constantly morphing it. And by the time you get to glory, then it will have changed multiple ways dynamically. But that gift that was unique has been changed. And it was always unique every single time along the journey of ministry for Christ. But that can't become a reason for us to get intoxicated with ourself or our gift. Number three. Number three. Unsurprisingly, Unsurprisingly, the gifts, this representative's list of gifts, we got a list of gifts here. Unsurprisingly, this representative list of gifts falls into two categories. Okay, stop, test, pop test. Ready? What would be the two categories of gifts that this representative list would fall into? Pop test, speaking gifts, Serving gifts, two interdependent. Remember what we just we just confessed it a while ago. Those who speak, let them speak the word of God. Those who what serve, two interdependent. Speakers serve, servants speak. But these are two categories of gifts that have been outlined by Peter. You'll notice that these all fall into that. Look with me, at Romans, uh, Romans chapter three. Oh, one other thing, I do promise. I am going to go through the 19 gifts that have been identified in these four texts. And it will be the last sermon, because I know when I do that, some of you are going to get mad at me, and I want to wait for you to learn this before you get mad at me. I want you to get mad at me now. I want you to wait and get mad at me. I want you to get this stuff first, and then we'll go through the list. But watch through this list. Just look at the categories. and stop. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that. God has assigned do you realize each one of us do not have we can be faithful but we're not we're not fully we're not full of faith we got a measure of faith can I encourage you to well here you I want a lot well I do too but can I encourage you a measure of a mustard seed can move a mountain our question isn't so much how much faith we have how much faith do I have measured to me, but how much am I using it? That's really, faith is focused upon Christ. It's not our faith we put our faith in. Our faith is in Christ. So whatever measure of faith you have, keep it focused on Christ. So now he says, those he's given a measure of faith that God has assigned to each of us. So God is sovereign in the gift of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, this faith that we're living out in life, having been converted by faith in Christ, this faith that we're living out, we are in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Everyone has a unique gift. So we, through many, though, so we, through many, are one body in Christ. So, by Christ, we all have a unique gift. We're many members, each uniquely gifted by God's assignment to exercise as a steward by faith, but we are to do so in concert with God's people in the body of Christ. I need the other gifts, they need my gift. We are to do so, and so we've got unity through diversity. We've got diversity that comes to many. Our country has a wonderful uh, motto that it needs to seek achievement, for, achievement all the time, but it ought to be true in the church of Jesus Christ, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile in these matters. And that, that motto, you know it, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Here are many gifts, but one body functioning on mission, on message, and in ministry. So we all have this we all function in this same body, and as we're functioning, what do we do? Here's what he says. Verse six having gifts that differ, they're unique, according to the grace given to us. They're caris caras uh originated by God's grace. Let us use them. Don't non-use them, don't abuse them, don't misuse them, use them. Well, what are they? He said, well, let me give you some. This isn't all. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, they all fall into the speaking, serving categories. Let's just walk through prophecy that would fall into which category? Speaking. Now we're going to study prophecy, capital P prophecy and small P prophecy. I do small P prophecy, but uh, Elijah did capital P prophecy and small p prophecy. I do small p prophecy, but I'd never do capital P prophecy. If I ever say I do, please uh pick me up and throw me out the window at that moment. Gently. Uh, so so here is so here's what he says. Here's a speaking gift. Then he moves to what? He moves to a serving gift. That would be a what? That would be service. So you've got prophecy, speaking, Service, serving gift. Teaching, speaking gift. Exhortation, speaking gift. The one who contributes gives, serving gift. The one who leads, serving gift. Leadership is servanthood. Serving gift. With zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, serving gifts. Don't miss... There's more serving gifts than there are speaking gifts. Now, again, speakers serve and servants speak. But notice what's there. Notice something else. It starts off with Peter's categories. What are Peter's categories? Let him who speak, speak the oracles of God. Let him who serves. How does this start? Look at verse 1. Look at that verse. If prophecy... There's the speaking gift. What's the next one? Serving gift. You see, Paul even reflects the two categories by the two gifts he mentions first. So there are speaking gifts and serving gifts that are interdependently developed in life. Number four, membership is essential. Let me say it again. This is not a membership drive. This is a Bible exposition. Membership is The local church is a manifestation of the body of Christ. Covenantal commitment in the local church is not on the a la carte menu of life for a Christian. It is essential. As my friend Alistair Begg says, membership matters. Membership actually matters. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot glorify god effectively using your gift disconnected from the body of christ you can't do it now you can be a member and not use your gift but you cannot develop your gifts apart from the one institution that's headed to eternity and that is the body of christ manifested in his church Membership matters. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. Go back to verse four. For as in one body we have many what? We have many what? Uh, can I ask you no, I do not answer. This is this is strictly preaching with nobody in my mind. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Is it on paper? Or is it seen seven days a week? Seven, on paper? Or is it participatory? I mean, do you have an arm that says, I'll show up on Sundays? Or do you have an, uh, an ear that says, you can count on me Wednesdays? I remember my dad, I love my daddy so much. But my daddy was the master at this. I said, Dad, there's a three-day, two-night thing to play golf up in um, in Maggie Valley. Would you like to go? He said, yeah, man, I'd love to go, son. I said, it doesn't cost much. Even I can afford my part. I said, can, can you do it? He said, son, we need to do this. I said, well, Dad, are you really going to want to do it? He said, son, absolutely. Write that down. That's a definite Maybe. There's a lot of us in terms of our engagement in Christ's church. It's a definite maybe. We treat the church more like a specialty store. Than actually God's family. Than actually the body of Christ. I have nobody in my mind. This is just a biblical principle. Membership. You cannot do the stewardship of a spiritual gift. Without a functional membership. In the body of Christ. We can't. Be a part of a living organism if we're a parasite living off the organism. We've got to be a part of that organized organism, the body of Christ. I love you. I didn't hear anything back. So hopefully you will anyway. Number five, DDD, develop, discover, develop, and deploy leadership. The way you do it is is not not by passive contemplation, but by intentional implementation. How do you discover your gift, develop your gift, and deploy your gift? You don't do it by sitting in a corner looking at our spiritual navel with contemplation. You do it by intentional implementation. If prophecy, prophesy. If teaching, teach. If leading, lead. If serving, serve. If giving, give. It is in the intentional implementation that the discovery, the development, and the deployment. You, the, did y'all know that one time, uh, well, let me put it this way. Is it easier to turn a car when it's moving or when it's sitting still? now some of you are not old enough to remember the day when a car with power steering was a unbelievable luxury. Uh, we all have it. But I grew up where you had to have 18 inch biceps to drive a car. And my mother was the best driver of the car in our family. You had to, I mean, you had to strong arm it. Why? Because when something's sitting still, it doesn't move well. <laughs> it's when it's moving and has that inertia, I mean, that has that momentum, that it then begins to move. Ships move better when they're moving than when they're sitting still in the dock. Well, I'm out of time, so let me give you the takeaway, uh, which is a a, ref, a reframing of our our distillation of the previous two texts of Scripture. Spiritual gifts are God-designed and grace-delivered resources to be stewarded by deployment through Christ's church in word and deed ministries. In word and deed ministries. I wish I could shorten it. I just can't in good conscience. I realize some of you can turn that into a motto. Go for it. Go for it. But I, I just didn't feel comfortable giving you a motto with this because there's some basic notes that I believe have to be sounded in terms of pulpit discipleship in this matter. What is our motivation? Here's our motivation. We got five motivations. I'm just going to name them. Number one, why do, we do, why do we steward these gifts? For God's glory. We want to display God's glory. We want people to see the beauty of the body of Christ at work. For God's glory. Through the mission, the message, and the ministry. We want it to be displayed. Because of God's grace. This is all, not only is my salvation of grace, my stewardship is of grace, and my spiritual gifts are of grace. And the effects of my spiritual grace. The gifts are given by the Spirit for the ministries of Christ to the to the effects and the glory of the Father. So I want God, the triune God, to be glorified and displayed. I want God's grace to be obvious and proclaimed through spiritual gifts. And number three, I want God. And by the way, I want it proclaimed in word and deed. As the deeds affirm the words. And the words are are manifested through the deeds. And then thirdly, for God's people, I want to be a blessing. The gifts have been given for the common good. I want my gift to be a blessing to God's people. Number four, for God's world, we need, we need the salt and light of the work of the church through the discipling of God's people into the world. So there are minute, there are spiritual gifts in the church to be ministered in the church and spiritual gifts in the church that are to be ministered outside of the church. God's world impacted. Number five is God's It is God's stewardship affirmation. God's steward affirmed. I want to use my gifts so that God one day will affirm, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'd like to do. I was thinking and thinking and thinking about someone to mention to you that, that, that represents this. And I could easily go to some of the people that God has blessed me with, Dr. Barker, uh, R.C., um, Jim Boyce. Uh, but I felt like I was falling into a trap because we all tend to go to the more visible. Remember about spiritual gifts. They're, they're like a body. What's the most important part of your body, external or internal? I mean, if your heart and your kidney and your liver fall out, you're in trouble. Your hair falls out. Okay, we can handle that. I've been doing that for about, oh, 55 years now. Uh, heart and liver, they, you take that out, we're done. We're done. I remember they sent me the notes from my open heart surgery, and I saw. I remember the paragraph: heart stopped. <laughs> oh my goodness! I want to read down here further. <laughs> heart started. I felt like he should have waxed eloquent at that moment in the uh, in the description, but uh, it's just it's you know it's the internal that's more the invisible. We we. And so I didn't want to go to one of the visible. Although, I I, obviously, I value all of them. I went to my my paternal grandmother, Lois. You know, she was the greatest example of not thinking more highly of yourself than than you ought. Y'all do know there's cat people and there's dog people. You know that, don't you? You know, you come home and uh, what does your dog do? Wags his tail, acts like you're the greatest thing in the world. Thinks that I mean. It's amazing how much. How I want to be as I want to be everything my dog thinks I am. Because your dog looks at you and says, "There's my master. There's my master. He washes me, feeds me, clothes me. He must be God." Cat? Nope. It's a measurement of your IQ, and that's how long you took. To t- think of a name for your cat, because they could care less. I mean, that may mean something to you; it doesn't mean a thing to them. I mean, sit and call them and watch what happens. You see, we think we think they're their ma- we're their master and they're on our staff. No, no, the cat says, "I'm the master. You're on my staff." That's the way they look at you. I'm, and don't send me any emails. I've already gotten them. I understand them. Don't and don't see me in the back and re- exhort me or anything. I'm telling you, you. Um, You don't see dogs standing next to witches at Halloween. I can tell you that. (laughs) So, So you're either a dog person or a cat person. The cat, see, the dog looks at you and says, look what you do. You must be God. The cat looks at you and says, he washes me. Well, you don't wash him. He feeds me. He cares for me. He gets everything for me. I must be God. Don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are been, been, We have been so blessed by God's grace. But it's not about us. us see what Jesus did. He saved us, not to make much of us, but to free us to make much of him. That was my grandmother. I'd meet her. I still have on my bed the same dog she gave me when I was five years old. Not, he's not living. He, he's a, what do you call him, stuffed dog. Still got him. Still got him. Every time I touch him, I think of her meeting me, teaching me, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't Jesus my Lord? That turn your eyes on Jesus? She sang it with me every, almost every day I came home. And you can ask my wife, when we go to visit my grandmother, we could not leave there without her giving us something. One time we rode away with her dining room table. My grandmother and my grandfather never owned a house their entire life. Never owned a single thing. But boy, did they give. You see, that's what I think Paul's calling us to. It's not about us, and we don't own it, and we're not obsessed with ourselves. We're stewards. We're His. For His glory, the blessing of His people, impact for the world, the display of His grace. We want to be a vital part of the body of Christ with the gifts He's given us, and we say no to gift envy, gift and ministry, envy and jealousy, and no to pride and arrogance. And yes to Jesus. Father, thank you for the time. We could be together in your word. Please, Father, be at work in the lives of your people. Uh, You can pray with someone afterwards up here. Or you can take just a moment in silent prayer. Talk with the Lord about these matters. Watch what he does in your life. Anticipate it. God, please deliver us from self-obsession and self-promotion. Give us the joy of dying to self and living unto Christ for his glory, using our gifts. And Father, if Christians are to use their gifts in anticipation of next week, if Christians are to use their gifts in the context of Christ's church, then how much should we as a church make a way? for them to discover, develop, and deploy those gifts in and outside of the body of Christ. Please help us, please help our elders and deacons and our pastoral staff and the various lay men and women who lead here to create pathways for your people to use their, the gifts you've given them for your glory by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.